Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. One of my favorite things about talking to Olympians and Paralympians is to talk to them about what goes on in the athlete's village, when the athletes are away from the media, away from the fans, and they can just interact. That is no different for my conversation with Robbie Manson, who talks with me about uh, 2012, the, the Summer Games in London, and him tracking down just as he was trying to come out in his private life, tracking down a, an out gay Olympian that he wanted to talk to and talking about how the two of them met up and, and talked and how he was inspired by that conversation and inspired by that athlete. He does talk with me about who that athlete is, but I'm going to make you listen to the podcast to find out. Talk with Robbie about again the 2012 games, the 2016 games in Rio, being there as LGBTQ athletes were making a bunch of headlines, and we also talk about his thoughts on retirement. The he, earlier this year, he had pretty much decided after a trip to the United States to retire from the sport, but he's back rowing with his former rowing partner. And going to make one last go of it, of course, that's a little bit complicated now and, and put on delay by a year. But as of now, he's training every day at home and still focused on next season and the 2021 Summer Games in Tokyo. I, I hope you enjoy my conversation with New Zealand rower Robbie Manson. Okay, well, I'm here with Robbie Manson, who is at his home in New Zealand. Robbie, I got to tell you, I find it hard to motivate myself to go to the gym for a half hour and do a one-mile run. How do you stay motivated to do what you have to do to compete at the highest level of your sport? I guess um, at the moment it's quite hard because we um – more or less stuck at home and training on our own whereas I'm used to training um, with a much bigger team even when I'm in a, a single or a double smaller boat we're surrounded by the whole New Zealand rowing team which is made up with 40 or 50 athletes um, so I guess it's not so much of staying motivated like some days are better than others but you just you don't have a choice you have to turn up uh, every day at a certain time and it doesn't matter how tired you are or how motivated you are you just have to do it so it's certainly harder at the moment being in lockdown and um, when you really do have to motivate yourself to to get up early and um, I guess that for me at the moment that's slipping later and later and or some days I'm good and I get up and get my sessions done early and other days I leave it to the end of the day so um, as, yeah it's it's interesting that um, I find that uh, when things are, are normal per se it's sort of easier just to you're in the routine you're doing it you've got other people relying on you um i guess now there's the added factor that the olympics have been pushed back a year so um i guess that's a, a little bit deflating in some ways as well so i think it's a really unique situation that we're in at the moment and i know that um a lot of other athletes i've talked to are sort of feeling much the same at the moment if the Olympic Games were going to be this July and August, what would your day look like today from 
you know, waking up to, to going to bed? What would it look like if it was a normal season? I guess for so, you prepping for the Olympics. Um, if, if things had gone ahead as normal, we'd actually be in Europe at the moment. Um, the, this last weekend, we would have raced at uh, one of the World Cup regattas leading up to the Olympics. Um, so we would be um, in Slovenia training at the moment. Um, other other years, the Olympics is a little bit earlier than we our world champs usually is, and the, so because of that, the World Cups were brought forward. Um, if it was this time last year, we'd still be at home and uh, going over to Europe uh, beginning of June. So um, if it, if it was a normal day at Carapira, I'd probably get up at uh, five thirty in the morning, uh, leave home between six and six thirty, do about half an hour stretching and warming up, um, get on the water sometime between 7 and 7.30, and then we'd row um, anywhere between uh, 20 and 30K. Um, on a Friday morning, we usually do what we call a bungee session. So we uh, tie uh, like a bungee cord with a couple of tennis balls on it around the hull of the boat to slow it down and make it heavier and create more drag um, on the boat. So we usually do that and do uh, sort of shorter three or four minute pieces. Um, at a slightly higher intensity. And then um, we'd possibly have weights during the middle of the day and then uh, another session on the water in the afternoon about three o'clock. Those days when, when you wake up and you just don't want to do it, what drives you to do it? What drives you to get out of bed and give it 100%? Because you, you talked about a half hour warm up. That's my yeah. workout for the day. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I guess it's the routine of doing it, and some days I don't enjoy it, but you always turn up, and once you're out there doing it, it's, it's never as bad. Uh, I guess like, even when you are really tired, your body can still do it. So um, I guess some days it is a little bit forced. Some days are great, and you really enjoy it and want to get out there and do it, but um, it's the days when the, the weather's not so great, when you're really tired or sore from training. You just every single day get up and do it. So I think it's that having people relying on you that sort of makes you do it. Whereas at the moment, there's sort of no one else relying on us. And actually, today my day is not um, too different in that I've got uh, just over an hour on the rowing machine. Um, then I've got a, a weight session. I've got a good little gym set up in the garage at home uh, with a rowing machine and a squat rack and a bench and a few different things. Um, and so I've got the the rowing machine for about an hour then waits for about an hour then i'll go on the bike for about two hours um, so that's my day today which isn't too different from what i normally do but um i haven't started it yet and it's nine o'clock in the morning so it's just getting pushed later and later what is what is it about now that that is making you push this are you are you drinking at night like everybody else no definitely not um just I guess it's a little bit cold in the morning. We're coming into winter now, like having been in summer. So it's always a little bit harder to get up earlier when it's cold outside. So it's always nice to stay in bed. And then you kind of go, oh, yeah, I should get up now and do something. So, um, and I guess like some days I just don't feel like doing anything. But uh, if I don't get my training done, then I, I never feel as good. Like I always feel a lot better about myself and like a sense of accomplishment, even though, well, I guess in a sense, we are still training for the Olympics. It's just further back. But um, in a way, it kind of feels like we're training for nothing at the moment because everything for the rest of the year has been cancelled. But 
I guess it's just that uh, personal satisfaction and sense of achievement every day. So just sort of taking it day by day and I guess getting through the training each day at the moment as a as a accomplishment or whatever. So um, looking at it that rather than trying to look at it like, because what we do now probably isn't going to have a huge effect on what happens at the Olympics next year. Um, well, you, have, well, you have a whole season between now and then, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we're, the plan for us is we'll train for about another four weeks and then we'll have a month off um, just because we'd normally have about uh, three or four weeks off a year anyway. Uh, you've already qualified for the Olympics, correct? Uh, yes, so in rowing you qualify the boat. Right. Um, so New Zealand last year I, I qualified the single. New Zealand a place in the single at the Olympics. This year, I chose to uh, trial for the double instead of the single, which is also a boat that New Zealand's qualified for the Olympics already. So I was selected in the the double back in January. Um, so yeah, I was yeah all set for the Olympics. As we're not a hundred percent sure next year whether we'll have to retrial for our place in the boats or whether our selection for the New Zealand team this year will carry on through to next year. So. It's a little bit up in the air now just because of the, the delay. But, um, yeah, so, I had a really good season this year. So all going well. Um, like, it should be much the same next year. So just to, just to be clear, the IOC, so, so New Zealand is guaranteed a spot because they've qualified for a spot. And the IOC has said if you qualify for 2020, you qualify for 2021. The question is, yeah. who will be selected to fill that boat? And right now you've been selected, but next yeah. year that that – could um like i conceivably change yeah 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 that's exactly right um it's probably unlikely uh the my doubles partner chris harris i also rode the double with in um 2016 um we're both very consistent and dominant all summer um for the double like we're a great combination so it would be hard unless one of us suddenly loses a lot of form or or something between uh now and next year like it's hard to sort of see that that would change even if we do have to retrial but um yeah it, it, it's not um 100 guaranteed at this stage so, so some athletes like megan rapino uh, in the u.s has said that the delay in the olympics could end up meaning uh trouble for her um participating olympics um some some older athletes have talked about their chances of competing for a medal a year later could be diminished. Do you think that the the delay could could end up benefiting you, hurting you, or is it a wash? It, it's much the same. Like I, uh, I guess your peak in rowing is late twenties, early thirties. So a year later for me isn't going to make uh, much difference in terms of that. I think. Yeah, if anything, like Chris and I rode together in 2015 and 16, then we haven't rode together for three years. So another year of rowing together again to to get the combination going as fast as we possibly can could be a, a really good thing. I guess on the other hand, like I've had probably the best summer back here in New Zealand that I've ever had, and I've set PBs on all of my tests and things. So um, and, and Chris is the same. So... Uh, we're probably in the, the best form of our lives. So um, I guess 
now we'd have the the formula or whatever the the training program to get into that sort of shape so we just have to replicate what we've done this year and and should hopefully get much the same results i guess um for chris he he was probably looking at um tokyo being his last olympics so um i guess pushing it out a year when you sort of see the finish line in sight within a few months and having that pushed out a year it can um i guess be a little bit hard to stay motivated for that that whole time i guess have, have, have you talked to him and said you you are not retiring sorry you got another year of this yeah well um we we have talked to, about it a little bit but i guess we both kind of are um pretty committed to to carrying on and in saying that we're both probably struggling at the end of last year we both um didn't do quite as well. Chris was in a double last year with a different guy. I was in the single. We both didn't do as well as we would have liked at the World Champs. I, I don't know, probably both very close to retirement after or at the end of last year. In fact, um, Chris did retire for about a week at the beginning of the our, the season following World Champs. And then um, I went over to America and did a, a race over there and spent a week in New York. And while I was over there, I really wasn't sure whether I was going to carry on rowing or not. And um in fact it pretty much made up my mind that i was going to retire as well and then came home and talked to a few people and just got back into training and managed just to like get myself through that kind of a bit of a a rough patch and then uh, once i got into the summer or our new zealand summer started setting pbs on on everything i was doing so really got my enjoyment back in the sport so um i guess we've both come from um yeah i or we did row together and had a had the boat going really well pre uh rio in 2016 and then had a disappointing one there we've came through this olympic cycle and um i guess both started out quite strong and then didn't have such a good year last year but now that we've got back into the double it's going really well what was it about that trip to america and new york that left you getting on a plane thinking i'm done it, it wasn't so much that it was just um the that world champs hadn't gone so well i was feeling a little bit deflated and uh we'd sort of started back training here in new zealand and then having that time away and getting out of the the environment here in cambridge and sort of thinking oh maybe there's more to life and other things that i could be doing um and wasn't really sure if i still enjoyed the sport so um i guess uh coming back here I really struggled part of it as well as probably trying to like even like now trying to stay motivated training uh when like I'm on the other side of the world I don't have all the facilities and stuff I do here so um and you're trying to do all sorts of other fun things and around that you're still trying to keep your fitness and keep training I, I guess that's quite hard and then I lost a little bit of fitness and once you're fit and you're sort of on a roll, you just do it. I think the hard, like the hardest thing is when you do have a break and then you're trying to build your fitness up again because everything hurts. Like every session is just so hard. Well, I'm glad you decided not to retire. I, I, I uh, and if Chris needs some talking to you, you send him my way. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, everybody hang tight. We'll be right back with Robbie Manson. Okay, we're back. Robbie, you came out in 2014, came out publicly. I, I know you were kind of out in your personal life before then. 
what motivated you to do that? And over the last six years, would you say it's been it was a good decision? Yeah, I, I guess um, I came out personally in around like 2012, so a couple of years before that. So by then, I think, I guess before I came out, like I, obviously like uh, most people are in the closets that are not very comfortable with my sexuality at all. And then it sort of probably took me a couple of years to to just sort of be comfortable enough to share it openly. And I guess one of the, the big factors was that um, you guys asked me if I'd be interested in doing a story with you. Um, so that's how I came out publicly is, is via Outsports. And for me, I didn't realize that it was going to um, get as much attention as it, as it did, I guess. I was writing the story to um, just to share it with, like, because I read Outsports before I came out and I felt that was a huge um, help for me. So I thought, oh, maybe there's someone else in my position who reading my story will help them. So I guess that was the main motivating factor for me to to share my story publicly and I guess I didn't expect it to be received as as um I guess as far and wide as it was so which is, is fine I guess by that point I was like comfortable with it and the more people that can that can hear my story and that it can can help the better so um I would say that it, it has all been positive like I haven't had any negative reaction I guess maybe before like I shared that story publicly I was always kind of a little bit like I wonder if they know I wonder if they don't just with um in all sorts of situations whereas now it's just like oh well, I guess the whole world knows and it just makes life easier I guess like it's sort of no hiding anything or no not hiding any part of who I am not that I was anyway but um it, I guess it's a lot easier um as opposed to having to tell everyone individually everyone I assume now just kind of knows we hear this all the time where people think, oh, yeah, I'll do a story on Outsports. And they and they think that they're just writing a story. They're coming out story for this little blog in this little corner of the Internet. And then all of a sudden they get a thousand friend requests and media is yeah. calling. And they're like, uh oh, what did I just do? Did, did you have an uh oh, what did I just do moment? Not really. I guess I didn't because obviously you guys are based in America and I like I thought, oh, like surely little old New Zealand's not gonna gonna pick up on any of this, and they did. Like not in a, a big way, but there were a few of the, um, I guess, mainstream um, media channels in in New Zealand did kind of pick it up. But um, yeah, I, I guess like uh, you guys said that you were gonna share the story now, whatever. And I went out on a bike ride. Um, for training and then I came home and like you said I had like a, a thousand new friend requests and like so many <laughs> notifications on Twitter and everything so I know this is not why you did it but uh, how often do you get requests for dates or or some kind of romantic interest um, I, I guess I get the, the odd message but um, <laughs> I don't know, it's sort of, I guess, flattering in a way. But, um, yeah, I guess also being stuck in, or not stuck in New Zealand, but being so far away that, um, yeah, it's not very realistic a lot of the time anyway. 
Yeah, well, people don't even realize how far away New Zealand is, even from Australia. It's like a several-hour flight, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a three-hour flight to Australia, to the nearest coast in Australia. Um, and then it's about sort of 12-plus hours over to the, to the west coast of the U.S., Heart, that that's long distance dating. That, that redefines yeah. <laughs> long distance dating. Yeah. Um, have you had people in your sport reach out to you? Obviously, I don't. I don't. I have no interest in name. Well, I do have an interest in names, but I'm not going to ask you. Um, but have you had people in your sport reach out to you and and you know to to confide in you or to to ask for advice about being out or coming out or anything like that? Yeah, I guess like not only in rowing and, and all sorts of different sports, but I guess that's actually been one of the the really positive things about coming out is that sort of visibility and um, sort of being able to, I, I guess, have people reach out. And um, I mean, I'm always happy to um, to share my experience or... I guess like I always feel like I'm not that much help, like everyone's in a different situation and you've got to come out at your own time. And um, when you're ready and like, I don't know everyone's situation, but I'm always here to listen or to um, offer support or advice where I can. But um, yeah, I guess it is one of the, the cool things and realizing that shit, like I, I never thought that there were so many gays in, in rowing or in sport in general. And then it just kind of like opens your eyes up to, to how many people there actually are. And I'm sure like there's so many more that like you, you wouldn't know about as well. So um, I guess part of it is just like normalizing it. And um, I guess like, I don't see myself as a gay rower or whatever. Like I'm um, like to hope that I'm a good rower, but, um, like I have like lots of young rowers and stuff who aren't gay, like uh, messaging me and like wanting rowing advice and stuff all the time and get so many messages that I can't even respond to them all sort of thing. But like, I'm always happy to, to offer advice, whether it's about um, rowing or training or, or coming out or whatever. You're at in the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio, and there were, I don't know, like five dozen out LGBTQ athletes there. Um, was it a part of your Olympic experience to, to meet some of them and say hello and, and, and share stories? Or, or were you just there, you're so focused on your sport and competition that, that there just isn't any time for any of that? I guess you're really lucky in rowing that it's in the first week of the Olympics. So, um yeah, obviously the first week is 100% focused on rowing and the second week uh, we can let our hair down a bit and um, sort of have a bit of fun. So, um, yeah, like I met a couple of other um, athletes um, at the Olympics and uh, there's also a LGBT um, meetup uh, one of the nights in the second week. So I went along there and I think there's only about um, four or five athletes actually went along, but um, it's still quite cool to be a part of. And actually, a guy I met there um, who wasn't an athlete at the Olympics, he was just watching. Um, but I got on, we got on really well and sort of became friends. And then um, he's actually now dating um, a guy who's a rowing coach in New York, who I'm now also really good friends with. And I when I go to America, I always go to New York and um, stay with them and um, 
go out in the coach boat or go for a row with um uh with Nick. So um and yeah, his his now boyfriend Jesse I actually met in uh Rio at this meetup. So yeah, it's just like it is amazing the the people that you do meet and the, the friends that you make um because of it. I, I in I was in New York Pride last summer and uh went over to one of Nick's little uh little pre-games that is in his in his yeah. garden in new new in new yeah. york which is a lot of yeah. fun he's yeah. a he's a coach a rowing coach at columbia university here yeah he's got a great spot and it's um yeah it's, uh that's where i was staying when i was in new york last year and i had a rowing machine set up in the in the back garden but i just wasn't very motivated to use it at the time unfortunately <laughs> um during the games there were at least from an american perspective and from an outsports perspective, LGBTQ athletes are making headlines left and right. Um, they were they were doing well. They were proposing marriage to one another, uh, and then there was a terrible story about uh, um, a British journalist who was kind of trying to entrap gay athletes on Grinder, which was insane. Were you aware that any of that stuff was going on? I know you said the first week you're just so focused, but the second week, were you aware that, oh, wow, LGBTQ athletes are actually a, a kind of a big deal at these Olympics? Yeah, I think like because I was um, in London, obviously, as well, and there wasn't like, I guess that was just when I was coming out or um, I guess, yeah, wasn't as aware of the, like any other gay athletes at the time. I actually did uh, meet Matthew Mitchum because I um, I watched the, was at home watching the um, the Beijing Olympics where he won a gold medal in the diving. So I knew who he was. So um, I ended up messaging him and um, we met up in the, the Olympic Village dining hall and had a coffee or something. And um, yeah, it was actually really cool to meet someone who I'd like seen four years before win a gold medal on TV sitting at home and um, to actually be there um, myself was pretty amazing. But um, other than that, like I wasn't really aware of anyone. So I think being aware of a lot more athletes in, in Rio was pretty cool. And um, I think uh, who the British guy, the race walker, I think it was. Tom Bosworth. He was Yeah, so he was the one who I think uh, got engaged at the Olympics, and he was one of the other um, few athletes that was at this LGBT meetup. So it's 20, 2012, you're at the Olympics, you're, you're barely out to anybody, and you message Matthew Mitchum and sit down for coffee? I guess like I was like, at that point, I'd come out to, to most of my friends and most of the team. Um, so I was sort of starting to accept it myself, but I guess in that sense so it was sort of meeting someone like that was sort of helping me be more comfortable with myself in a way I guess now in the same way that now I have a lot of people sort of message me and um for advice and that sort of thing so I guess like for me that's what it was and it was great and I guess like I've um I don't know almost being in the Olympic Village you're almost safer in a way like there's not everyone else there they're all athletes and they're all focused on their sport or what they're doing so I'd say in a way that it is kind of a safe space. And I guess like you're saying that in um, Rio, the story about the, the British journalist who was trying to out people on Grindr, I guess that um, being that it is kind of like a, a safe space is like a real shame that someone would 
um, I guess, take advantage of that. Um, and I was at, like, I was aware of that story at the time. And yeah, it's, it's not good for anyone. I can only imagine what being, uh, being scared already and being at Olympic Games and finding out that somebody is trying to entrap gay people on, on a dating app. I can only imagine what psychologically that would do to them. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's not, not ideal. Uh, well, I, I end every podcast with the same two questions, and I know, and, and, and I, you may get kicked out of the country for this, uh, being in New Zealand, but you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, though you, 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 you live near Hobbiton? Yeah, so um, I went for a bike ride a couple of days ago out past Hobbiton, so um, it's about maybe half an hour or so from, from home. Um, it's in a nice, nice little bike ride loop. Like I don't like dislike Lord of the Rings. I'm just not as big a fan as as my brothers or a lot of other people. Is it kind of? A, I mean, being in New Zealand, being Kiwi, is it a thing? Is it does the Lord of the Rings kind of bring a a a, a sense of pride to the country? Because I, mean, I think I think so. And even myself, sort of like I, it, it is like with a lot of people overseas and stuff like they they see the Lord of the Rings movies and how beautiful and stuff New Zealand is. And I guess I'm more proud of the, the natural beauty of New Zealand and appreciate that side of Lord of the Rings more so than the, the actual movie. Well, I have friends in Auckland and they said, cause I'm a Lord of the Rings fan and they, yeah. they, they promised they would take me on a tour uh, when I come yeah. visit so for that. <laughs> um, the other question that I ask everyone is, is tell me an Olympian and it could be from your childhood. It could be more recently an Olympian who has inspired you. Um, I think like for me, there's probably a couple. Um, so when I was younger, Mark Todd, uh, who's the New Zealand equestrian uh, and he won back-to-back Olympic gold medals in the individual three-day events in 84 and 88, which was before I was even born in 89. But growing up, I rode horses and all I ever wanted to do was to to go to the Olympics. And I guess he was my first Olympic hero, if you like. And he actually um, was, a, he was in the Olympics in 2012 and 2016 um, at the age of, I think, about 60 and 60-ish in 2016 so to have this sort of like Olympic idol that sort of grew up watching the first Olympics I remember was Sydney where he got a bronze medal and um, to then be at the same Olympics as one of as one of um, as one of your idols is is something pretty special Um, and another one that stands out for me is Rob Waddell um, who's a New Zealand was a New Zealand rower and he won a gold medal in the single and won New Zealand's only gold medal at the Sydney Olympics. So, um, and he was the chef de mission um, for the New Zealand team at the uh, Rio Olympics. So to be there with him and he's an absolutely amazing guy, fantastic role model. He took the time to talk to and get to know um, every individual athlete, even when my results weren't as good as I'd hoped for him. And Rio took the time to to be really supportive and encouraging after that um, and in himself being an Olympic gold medalist um, so I think he's a, an amazing role model and just a fantastic human being so I think those two uh, definitely uh, two of my biggest Olympic idols. 
Well, Robbie, I appreciate you taking the time. I, I really hope you continue to find the motivation for another just 14 months to, yeah. to, to get to Tokyo. Um, but I really appreciate you. appreciate you being willing to be out and visible and, and inspire other people. So thank you. Cool. Thank you very much, Sid. I appreciate it. It's always neat to hear people who are surprised by the uh, the the response to running their story on Outsports.com. We like I told Robbie, we hear it all the time, uh, and I'm so glad that Robbie has been able to inspire people with his story. He will continue to do so, and hopefully, he stays away from that retirement word for another year. You can find Robbie on Twitter at Rob underscore Rower. On Instagram, he's at Robbie underscore Manson. But if you just search Robbie Manson in either one, you should be able to find him. Next week, I know who my guest is. It is a Winter Olympian. You're going to have to come back next week to find out. Uh, I hope in the meantime, you are finding ways to exercise and be social while socially distant. I know I am. Uh, it's so important to be social. We are social beings. So, you know, find ways to Say hi to your neighbor from six feet away. Uh, whatever else you need to do to, to keep your mental health. It is as important as your physical health. Uh, I hope you're well. I hope you have a great week. And we'll talk to you next week.